and welcome or welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and before we get into any of it, if you guys listening have ever had any strange or unusual experiences or have any requests for future episodes, please email them over to us at scottishandscared at gmail.com. You can also go follow us on Instagram at scottishandscaredpod and if you wouldn't mind, please rate, review and share wherever you may be listening. Thank you guys, it really does help us a lot and big thank you to everyone who has. So... Hello. I know it's a wee teeny tiny bit late, but Happy New Year, everybody. I hope that everyone had a very nice time over the holidays and you got to see your loved ones or even some of your friends. I know I had such a good time just being able to spend some time with my family and actually appreciate being in their presence. It was very good. I think going into 2021, I feel like I've taken this kind of renewed sense of appreciation with me. I think it's hard to appreciate the things around you when you feel down or lonely or you feel like things aren't going to get better but this year I've kind of just stopped doing that. I've kind of just, when I feel myself getting into that place, I kind of just stop, I sit back and I just think of all the things that I'm grateful for and the people that I'm grateful for. I know one thing that I've started doing is I am so appreciative of the people who are in my life and love me and want to be in my life and those are the people that I appreciate. I don't, I've stopped kind of trying to make people be in my life who don't want to be in my life so I've kind of just stopped that and started to proper appreciate the people who are there and support me and love me. Um, Another thing that I've been doing to kind of try and help centre myself I've been starting to walk around the local park at my area and just sitting down somewhere on a bench or a tree and reading a book that's really helped me I am one of those people that's like proper happy when I'm in nature I know that sounds like hippy dippy but when I'm like sitting by a stream or I'm in a tree or I'm sitting on the grass even I just feel so happy I feel so at peace and I feel so chilled, like even when I'm in the ocean, I just feel so like at home, if that makes sense. So that's another thing that I've been doing to kind of try and keep myself occupied, keep myself happy. And with that, I just want to say if there's anyone out there who is struggling, um, you're not alone. It's kind of a unique time where we are all feeling the same thing at the same time. And I obviously myself, I struggle a lot with being on my own every day and not being able to visit friends and family. But I urge anyone who is in that headspace to please reach out to someone, reach out to a friend or a family member or feeling any of that, please reach out to myself. You can always email me or DM me and I will always respond. I know that sometimes it can be a little bit easier to speak to someone that you don't know. Just to get that initial feeling off your chest sometimes can just help massively. Just being able to speak in the moment and say what you're feeling in the moment can sometimes really help how you feel so please do not hesitate to get in contact don't ever feel like you can't message or anything like that please please do it don't hesitate we will obviously I'm not a professional I'm not a doctor but I will try my hardest to help you or I will find someone who can help you but I feel like now is more important than ever that we kind of band together and we support one another especially the people who don't have that family unit or that friend circle that is there for them I just feel like it's really important so once again do not hesitate to reach out I'll do my best to listen and make sure that you're okay so with all that being said 
I am so freaking happy to be back and recording again. I was a little sick over the holiday period, which is standard for me, so that was great. But the actual day that I sat down and decided, okay, let's get this done, I've got my episode ready, everything's good to go. I sat in my recording room and there was this weird buzzing noise, like high-pitched noise. And do you forget that when you think like, wait, is that actually like an external noise or is that happening inside my head? Like I do that all the time. Maybe that noise is inside my head. But no, it was not inside my head. There was something in this room, which we still don't know what it was, making this really like high-pitched rigging noise. So there was that and then the light fixture literally fell out of the ceiling. So that was great. And then the leg on my desk broke, so, you know, I kind of took that as a message from the universe to maybe not record today. Maybe there was a reason why. So I kind of just dropped everything and said, it's fine, we can wait, I'll wait till I get my new desk, etc. And that is exactly what I did. So now I have a brand new desk, my dad fixed the light fixture and that kind of buzzing noise has completely disappeared so I have no idea what that was that was making that noise maybe it was just in my head fingers crossed that everything goes to plan everything's good and on the plus side of being able to take that wee bit of time away I have been able to kind of stockpile a bunch of episodes that you will be hearing in the next couple of weeks next couple of months um that was always something that I really wanted to do I wanted to sit down one day a week and kind of stockpile a bunch of episodes, even two episodes a week, just so there's always something sitting there ready to go, because sometimes, obviously, I work, I have a job, and it can sometimes get a bit stressful with training and stuff like that, trying to find the time to sit down and give something your full attention. So I was really adamant that that was something I wanted to do, and I have done that, so you will always be getting an episode every single week without fail, unless the gremlins in this freaking room decide that they just want to start acting like absolute wee idiots then you might not get one but every single week you should be getting an episode uh every monday everything's good everything's good to go and i'm really super happy about that no surprise that there are a lot and a lot when i say a lot i mean a lot of castle episodes coming up uh the thing with the castle things is right as i said in my I think it was my Scottish folklore creatures episode. Obviously, I love Scotland. I'm Scottish. I love Scottish history. I love Scottish castles. They're beautiful. I'd love to visit every single one of them. But when it comes to haunted castles, Scotland kind of tends... Well, actually not Scotland. Most castles tend to have the same basis for a haunting. You either have... You have a lady, which the colour could be any colour. But there is always a green lady or a grey lady or a purple lady seen. There's also a phantom bagpiper or a dog. These are the things that are the basis of a haunt in a castle and sometimes it can become very, very repetitive. So I'm trying to find lots of different wee obscure, strange cases that I can kind of fit in between those. And I've actually been quite successful. There are a lot (laughs) that I've actually found that are just absolutely bizarre. And there was also a few listeners that sent in things um, that were completely fucking crazy. Uh, So I've managed to kind of space everything out so it doesn't get too repetitive. Uh, If you guys have ever heard, if you guys listening have got any strange wee ones that you want to send me in, please do, I will look into them. I love those ones, the wee obscure ones that you've never heard of. But speaking of strange episodes, that 
brings me on to today's episode. And let me tell you, today's one is a very, very strange one. Uh, So why don't we just get into it so that I don't keep blabbering on and I can uh, explain why it's so strange. So today we actually find ourselves back in the capital, to the the beautiful city of Edinburgh. So as you'll know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, that there seems to be a limitless amount of cases there in Edinburgh on pretty much anything that you want. You could just Google anything and put Edinburgh in front of it and you could probably find something. Um, Edinburgh is an absolutely stunning city, but it is also one of the creepiest cities, in my opinion, and also one of the most haunted. I would even go as far to say that Edinburgh is the most haunted city in the UK because it's just so full of history. And Edinburgh is kind of like a city on top of a city. So there's so much energy there and history and... There's just so, you could go on for days and days and days. So anyway, we are back in Edinburgh. Now the man in this story is actually said to be one of the inspirations behind the famous Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde by Robert Stevenson. Now, if you don't know the story, if you're not familiar with the story of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, it's basically a story of, well, it's a novella about a man who has kind of like an alter ego and they're like the main, the main characters of the, the story. Uh, one is kind of like, you know, reserved and puts on a face for the public, that kind of thing. And then the other is the opposite of that, very flamboyant, uh, you know, aggressive, violent, that kind of thing. So it's kind of just about a man with two, with two other egos and they're just kind of the basis of the story. But the man I am talking about is Mr Thomas Weir, who was also known in his community as the Bowhead Saint. This was because he rented a home at the very top of the West Bowl in Edinburgh's Grass Market. And the saint came from the fact that he was a very respected figure within the community. Now, the Grass Market is just an area within Edinburgh. Uh, if you've obviously from Edinburgh, you know what I'm talking about. But if you've never been to Edinburgh, it's just like an area within Edinburgh uh, town. A wee bit back slowly to Mr Weir. He was born in 1599 and he was raised for the most part in Curluck, which is a town in South Lanarkshire. His family and his ancestral line were one of the most powerful and also one of the oldest families in the county. They were known as the Weir de Vey. His parents were Mr Thomas Weir, who was the Laird of Curtin, and his mother was Lady Jean Somerville. Now, his mother was known to have some supernatural abilities, such as clairvoyance, and she was even rumoured to be a practising witch. So I think it's fair to say that Thomas was raised in a household where uh, talks about witchcraft uh, and the supernatural and the paranormal, all those kind of things. He was kind of desensitised to those kind of things. They were kind of normalised in his household. These are just rumours, but it was meant to be known that his mum practised those kind of things. We are grew up and was also a very famous Scottish soldier. He served under Mr James Graham or the Marquis of Montrose as Lieutenant in the Army of the Covenant and would then go on to be known as Major Thomas Weir. So Thomas does have a very extensive military record, which I'm personally not going to go into because I don't feel that it's relevant to the story and there is a lot. So if you're interested in that kind of history and that kind of those kind of things, please go check him out. Just put in Thomas Weir and he will come right up on Google and you can look into that. 
So as we've spoken about a lot on this podcast, Thomas was a very strict covenanter and he was actually very anti-Christian. If you've listened to the podcast, you'll know who the covenanters were. If you haven't, please go check out our other episodes. Um, I talked about it in the Mackenzie Poltergeist episode. I've talked about it in the Witch Trial episode. I've actually talked about it in quite a lot of episodes because um, it's uh, this the, around about the time that all these events kind of take place is it's, it's was quite a prominent quite a prominent thing. He actually gained some fame through his spoken prayer, which he would carry out from the comfort of his own home, and this kind of led to people coming from all over the country to come and see him perform these spoken prayers. It was meant to have been like a like a show, like he liked to put on a show and entertain people. It was that kind of thing. So it was very flamboyant, very out there. So he was very popular for that. As far as his personal life and who Thomas actually was as a person, see, when I first started looking into this, uh, most of the articles, most of the articles and like the videos that I watched and newspapers that I read, they kind of painted him as this kind of pillar of the community, upstanding citizen, impeccable military record, all these kinds of things. Like They painted him in a very positive light. But the more I kind of dug into it, the more it became apparent that he was not this amazing man that he was being portrayed to the public as. Uh, he kind of just was portrayed as that because he was so well respected and no one could possibly believe that he was involved in anything that wasn't you know lawful or you know disrespectful but anywho he was described as being a very serious and cruel man there are stories from when he served as commander of the Edinburgh Guard claiming that he would mock and generally just be an arsehole to the prisoners and he would laugh at them as they were taken away for execution so in my eyes, not a very nice man. So this is what I'm talking about when I say I found a lot of troubling um, stories and accounts about him. He was also said to have visited the homes of women whose husbands had left home for, you know, a variety of reasons. They had gone to work or they were, you know, just away doing other things, business, whatever. Now, he would tell everybody that he was visiting these homes to make to keep these women strong in their faith and the ti- in their time of being like lonely and on their own and he was just trying to make sure that they kept to their faith and they kept strong but in my general opinion I think I know exactly why he was visiting these women and it was nothing to do with faith now I'm not saying that he went into these women's home and did things that were against these women's will but there were a few women who came out and accused him of improper sexual conduct and these women were actually found guilty of slander and they were whipped in public so when these women actually came forward the authorities just told them you know there's no way uh thomas is so well respected he would never do something like that you're just you know you're just being a slanderous woman blah 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 and these women were punished for that so to me, he just was a man who could get away with what he wanted because he was practically untouchable because of his reputation. And there are a lot of these uh, kind of things that pop up if you look into Thomas Weir where he's been accused of something like that or he's been, you know, accused of taking advantage of young women. There are a lot of these accounts. So I just wanted to say that 
well, I was talking about him because I think that's important to know. Thomas went on to retire in 1670 and at this time he was living at his home in the grass market with his spinster sister Jean Weir. This is kind of when things start to unravel for Thomas and they start to get a wee tiny bit bizarre. Shortly after retiring, Thomas became very sick and his physical state started to deteriorate. Now, I don't know if he was, you know, if he had like an illness, like an actual illness, but obviously during these times, people get sick, people, you know, there's all different things going around, there's bugs, there's the plague, like there's all these different things. So he just became very sick. And at this point, he would be in his 70s, so maybe, I don't know, just old age. So while Thomas was sitting at a religious service one day, he just randomly stood up in the middle of the service and began to shout that he was in the service of the devil himself. So, obviously, everybody at the service just kind of turned around and looked at him and was like, this guy is a complete fucking madman. And they all just kind of rushed um, to Thomas's side, tried to calm him down, tried to get him to sit down, because in these people's eyes, he's an old man, he's sick, like they're just trying to calm him down. But he was not for having it. He just continued to scream and yell and confess that he was uh, he was a witch and a, he was a warlock and he had done all these unspeakable crimes and he had lived a life of sin. So people were genuinely worried and they called the doctors. Uh, when the doctors eventually turned up, they diagnosed him as being mentally unwell and he was taken home to rest in bed. Now, it was after this incident that Thomas began to confess to the authorities that he had been keeping secrets and that he had led a life of sin and crime. And crimes, which I may add, were described as revolting in nature. These included witchcraft, which we all know is the ultimate crime in those days, and even more disturbing things. He even accused his sister Jean along with him. And at the time, the authorities just thought, or like he's just a sick old man, like he's been delirious. There's no way that he could have done all these things. He's talking rubbish. As I said, he was an upstanding member of the community, so no one believes that this man could have been doing the things that he's regurgitating to the to the police. So the authorities were just like, there's no way. And they decided to ask his sister to see what she said about the claims. And she literally just turned around and said, yeah, he did all of those things. He's not lying. He's been, he's telling the truth. And then she even implicated herself as well by saying that she was involved. So now the authorities kind of have no choice. They have to detain them and interrogate them, which is exactly what they did. And this is when the nature of these supposed crimes and sin really, really came to light. Thomas confessed to having practiced witchcraft at his home in the grass market. He also confessed to having slept with a large number of women in his community, including the married women who had previously accused him of improper sexual conduct, and then went on to confess to the crimes of bestiality. I'm sorry, how do you jump from fornicating with married women to bestiality? There's quite a jump there, okay? Now, he claims to have had many sexual encounters with sheep, a cow, and even his own horse. Ugh. But that's not all, guys. Oh, no, 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 no. He also confessed 
that he had been sleeping with his sister from the time that they were teenagers until she was around 50, where he became so repulsed by her wrinkles and her old age that he moved on to younger, more vulnerable women. So let's just say that this guy is a piece of shit because he is a piece of shit. And at this point, he's pretty much done for. He's confessed to witchcraft. He's confessed to fornicating with married women and assaulting women. He's confessed to bestiality. And then he's confessed to incest. So he's pretty much just sealed his fate. That's it done. Case closed. So after that, they kind of went to Sister Jean, who was actually being called Gizzle at the time, or Giselle, because... It was more of a witchy name and people were just like, let's just call her that. So she was getting, she was being known as that at the time. And she just confirmed everything. She was like, yeah, yeah, he's not lying, he's telling the truth. Uh, In fact, everything that he's saying is true. And then she kind of just went on to confess everything herself. So she claims that one night a stranger appeared in a fiery coach pulled by six fiery horses outside of their home. And invited them in, picked them up. Uh, And while they were driving in the coach, the stranger, who I am going to assume is the devil, told the siblings many things, including knowledge of things to come. So paranormal knowledge, supernatural knowledge, all these different types of things. She also claimed that the devil himself had gifted her brother with a powerful staff or walking stick, which actually is true. He did own a walking stick that he was seen with. It was never in his hand. It was never not in his hand, sorry. Um, He always had it with him. And people even said that when he didn't have the staff in his hand, he wouldn't be as, like, entertaining at his uh, spoken prayers. He just wasn't himself. So this walking stick was in his hands at all time. Now, the staff was topped with a carved human head. And there were claims from the public saying that they had seen the staff floating along the streets on its own, running errands for Mr Weir, as well as answering the door for him. Now, I'm sorry, okay, but when did it become normal to see a staff or a walking stick floating through the streets with grocery bags and several things for its master and nobody thinks hmm that's a bit odd maybe they're doing something weird in that house nobody thought that that was odd also the fact is imagine going to someone's front door to drop something off or see somebody and you chap the door and the door just slowly creaks open and there's a walking stick just just staring at you in the door just floating in midair looking at you in the door is that the is that not the most terrifying thing that you've ever heard that's that's messed up. It's messed up. I think some of these people were a bit wary when they seen this, to be honest. She also showed the officers the shape of a horseshoe that would appear on her forehead when she frowned, which she told them was a gift from the devil, who also gifted her with a familiar that would spin endless amounts of yarn for her to sell for a very large profit. Now, the yarn thing is also said to be true. The people who were kind of buying it uh, and kind of knew about yarn selling said that Jean was able to spin impossible amounts of yarn that she just wouldn't be able to do on your own with one set of hands. And when people would go to use it that had bought it, it was basically unusable. There was nothing that they could do with it. It wasn't strong. It wasn't, it was just, it was rubbish. So though, so that is true, the part about the yarn. As far as a familiar spinning it, I don't know 
obviously I don't know if that's true but as far as her selling yarn for a very large profit that's completely true but as you can imagine the authorities were completely shocked and disgusted at the things that were being confessed by the pair and they didn't really know what to do because they they had no evidence the only thing they had was the confession them saying that they had did all these different things so they asked a doctor to come and visit Thomas and evaluate whether he was sane or mind. And you'll never guess what, people. The doctor concluded that he was mentally disturbed. No shit. I could have told you that. But they also said that he was sane of mind in terms of he knew what he was saying, he knew what he had done, he was riddled with guilt by it. Uh, and that's obviously a sign that the things that they're saying are true. Uh, so they concluded that the things that he was confessing to he had actually done and he was just kind of confessing before he died to kind of just get them off his chest apparently they also asked one of their other siblings if they had ever seen them doing anything out of the ordinary in terms of witchcraft or anything like that and the sister actually came back and said oh yeah when we were teenagers I actually seen them lying in bed together naked now that I, now that I come to think of it oh, what? So, apparently, this was enough to find them both guilty at trial of unnatural sexual practice and they were both sentenced to death. Now, just thinking like that, like, obviously incest and bestiality are completely disgusting. They're foul, right? But what happens nowadays if you are found guilty of that? Like, what what, what happens? Do, like, you get the jail or do you get, like, a fine? Or do you get, like, I don't know, a ban from being able to own animals or a ban on seeing your family members? Like, what's the punishment for that nowadays? Because, I mean, sentencing someone to death is a bit, mm, I don't know. I mean, definitely somebody who does that to animals because animals are, like, they can't, they're innocent wee things. They can't talk. Like, they can't tell you that, I'm just going to talk, stop talking about this because it's absolutely disgusting. Um, But as far as the incest thing goes, like, what is the what is the punishment for that like that's just i'm not going to google it because i don't want that information on my phone nor do i want to see the images that will pop up when i freaking put it in so thomas was taken to galilee which is a field in the middle of the road between edinburgh and leith there he was garroted and then burned along with his magical staff the staff was said to have been seen jumping around in the fire as it burned and before he was killed, he was asked if he would like to ask for forgiveness. And he replied, let me alone, I will not. I have lived as a beast and I must die as a beast. So, completely aware of what he's done. Completely aware that it's disgusting. And he's completely willing to face whatever, I don't know, whatever punishment comes with that after death. But can I just say, what the fuck are people all about with these punishments and ways of executing people like when did we think that garroting people was a good way of executing somebody like what who came up with that idea like who sat and thought that that was a good idea also no i honestly think that see these people who carried out all these executions and the people that came up with like all the torture devices and that they must have been serial killers they must have been like they must have been serial killers and it was just like they were able to just completely act out their darkest fantasies and their 
impulses because they obviously just weren't able to do that. They did these things to people back then and it was very public and people loved it. And people would go and see people getting tortured and people would go and see people getting hung. I just find that to be so fucking bizarre. Like, what the hell? Like, who's applying for the job with, like, a beheader? Like, nowadays, if that was on S1 Jobs, I'd be like, what? Wanted strong arms, strong enough to lift an axe and behead someone. So anyway, his sister Jean was then executed at the grass market in Edinburgh and just before she died, she actually tried to take all of her clothes off <laughs> in front of the gathered crowd who had come to see her hang. So she kind of said, fuck you guys, I'm just going to do one last thing and try and take off all my clothes and give these guys a good bit of entertainment and they kind of stopped her and she was just hung. So <laughs> that was that. Now you would think that them kind of dying would be the end of it. That would kind of be the... They would just be a story that people would tell, you know, about these siblings that were ancestral and they were doing all these weird things. But actually, no. They actually became more famous after they died. They became famous because of the strange goings-on at their once residence, residence. And their names and stories became very well known within the community. It was so well known, in fact, that the home lay empty for over a century. There were stories that Thomas had actually hexed the home and put several curses on it because one person claimed to have been walking up the stairs and then suddenly felt like he was walking in the opposite direction. Many believed that Thomas had hexed the stairs to keep people from entering the home, which, okay then, if I had the power to hex something or curse something like that, I would think I would do something a bit more creative, but, you know. People living close to the home would tell stories of strange lights and loud, ungodly noises at all hours of the night and morning. They would also see the figure of a woman at the windows who was said to be twice the height of a normal woman and she would even be seen outside of the home laughing maniacally at people passing by on the street. At night there were tales of demon-like creatures roaring and flying through the streets with torches trying to terrify the locals and they even said that they seen the fiery coach being pulled by six fiery horses flying through the streets of Edinburgh. So as you can imagine, nobody in their right mind would want to live there. I mean, I might want to live there just to see what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I'm one of those people that my goal in life is to... You know how you see those big Victorian houses in the country? Uh, my literal goal in life is to be able to buy one of those and paint the outside of it completely black. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love the aesthetic of it. I love how it looks. And then just to have people, like kids, walk by your house in Halloween and be like, oh my God, that's the scary house. And then when you actually come to the door, we're all like pure friendly and we're lovely and the house inside the house is nice and colourful and beautiful. I just, that that's, that is my literal goal in life. And that's what I can't imagine this house to be like, even though I've never actually seen it. So it actually lay empty uh, until 1780 when the home was purchased by Mr. William Pachulu, whose name I've probably butchered. Again, I apologise. He was an ex-soldier and he moved in there with his wife. But sadly, they never even lasted the night and they just left, leaving everything behind, vowing never to return. Now, they claimed to have been lying in bed at night when, out of the darkness, the shape of a calf appeared and slowly walked towards the bed. The calf then got up on its hind legs, put its front legs on the bed and just stared at the couple while they lay there in complete shock. There is another version of this story that says that the shape of the calf was seen standing at the window. Uh, and they kind of took this as a sign of the devil and they left and never came back but regardless 
um, I don't think that seeing a calf, which is a baby cow, in my bedroom would scare me. Is that weird? Like, I feel like, I mean, they're pretty cute. So if a wee baby cow just walked towards my bed and just put its wee legs up, I think I'd be like, oh, hi, ghost cow. Like, you're so cute. Am I, like, the only one who thinks that? Like, I don't think that's that would be scary in any way, shape or form. Also, I don't know when calves became the universal symbol for the devil, but, you know, whatever. Wait, 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 wait. I've just thought, like, the calf thing and then the bestiality thing. Oh, my God, no. I'd be like, I'm out. See you later. That's so weird. Bye. No, 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 no. I get it now. I get it. I get it. After this, uh, the home actually just permanently lay empty. They just could not find a single person who wanted to live there. And they had even dropped the price to basically next to nothing and still no offers, nobody wanted to live there. If you read up on this, uh, you will probably read that the home was demolished. But that isn't actually true. Part of the home actually still stands today and can be found in what is now the Quaker Meeting House on Victoria Street. The original parts of the weir home are now located in the toilet area of the current building, which is pretty funny. And there was a member of staff in the meeting house who had claimed to have seen Thomas Weir appear and walk through a wall. And this was actually before they knew that part of this building was part of that building, if that makes sense. And I know that this building is also featured on some of the haunted Edinburgh tours, so be sure to check them out if that is something that you're interested in. Um, God knows when we'll be able to do city tours again. But just keep it in mind if that's something that you, you want to do. And that is the story of the most haunted house in Edinburgh. Uh, it's still Part of it is still there today. Unfortunately, the whole building isn't there, but part of it is. And it's weird because this story really does go to show that just because someone portrays an image to you that they are a good person and they're lawful and they don't live a life of sin or whatever the fuck all that jazz that they're like they're just generally a nice person a pillar of the community doesn't mean that they're not doing things behind closed doors and that they're not just a complete deviant not that there's anything wrong with being a deviant if you want to be a deviant be a deviant but maybe just stay away from the bestiality and the incest and maybe give that bit a miss I think that's um that's a bit too far for me to be honest that that genuinely is one of the only things that scares me in life it's that you could think that somebody is one person and then something could happen and they could just be a completely different person like I just find that so scary growing up we were in a situation where we thought somebody was this lovely person they were nice they were caring and then a couple of months down the line they completely showed who they were as a real person and they were a horrible nasty violent person and I just think that that's that is one of the truly most terrifying things to me in life is that you never truly know who people are like you just have to take people at face value and then let their actions speak for them I just honestly that is one of the only things that scares me I think that's why I'm single as well. Like, I get scared sometimes that you get in a relationship with someone thinking that they're one person and then a couple of weeks down the line they just turn into a completely different person. Like, that honestly terrifies me. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. But this is kind of the thing with this story as well. Like, if Thomas and Jean never ever came out and said that they were involved in these kind of practices... 
like the story that came after so Thomas if he had never told anybody about his life and he just died of old age or sickness and Jean as well would the home be so haunted like would there have been all these stories of lights at night and loud noises and hexes like would that have just not existed would it have just been that he would have just been known as pillars of the community and they would have died and that would have been the end of it but because this is kind of what happens something comes out and then it grows arms and legs and then it just gets passed from pillar to post and before you know it you have a ghost story I'm not saying that the house isn't haunted. If they were doing, like, half the things that they said they were doing, then I imagine it to be haunted. And God knows what else they were doing in that house. Like, if they were assaulting animals and other things, like, God knows what else they were practising in this house. And then it just, as well, though, I think it was John Wayne Gacy. He was a pillar of the community, and he did things for charity, and he dressed up as a clown, which I... I hate clowns, so I would have known that that motherfucker was wrong. But he did a lot of things with children and stuff like that. And then behind closed doors, he's killing teenage boys and burying them under his floorboards. So honestly, that is one of the most terrifying things in life to me, is thinking that somebody is one person and then finding out they're another is absolutely petrifying. Uh, And this story just goes to show that. So now you can kind of get where the Jekyll and Hyde comparison, inspiration part of it comes from. And that's it really, that is the story of the most haunted house in, in Edinburgh. I know this one was a bit on the weird side, there was a bit, it got a bit weird in the middle there, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the stories where like a little whisper of something kind of goes out into the the neighbourhood and then it kind of, as I just said, it grows arms and legs. Those are my favourite stories, like you know those stories that are passed down generations about a house or a family or a person those are my favorite because they're just they're timeless they just there's there's things that my grandparents have told me that I'll tell my kids and I just find them to be so really really uh, those are my favorites those are my favorites it's the wee obscure weird ones that I find really interesting and I had no idea that this story even existed I was actually looking into something else and it kind of popped up at the bottom of my screen and I was like hmm wonder what that is and I looked into it and it was this so I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to this story I really enjoyed it uh, and if you want to look more into it just google the most haunted house in Edinburgh or Thomas Weir and you will find so many different things about it I did try and find a bit more detail about the things that they were doing in the house but I just kind of came across like it was just basic things that there was no detail so that is it guys thank you so much for listening and I am so excited to see you guys in the next one bye guys (laughs)